This is our Suburb Trends report for October 2020 and we'll be looking at where prices are moving across the country, either up or down, and why they're moving. This is a wonderful opportunity for us to be reminded every month that there is not one Australian property market, instead thousands of micro markets. And while some might experience periods of growth, others can be feeling a lot of pain and we like to find out what's going on and why. So. Uh, again, this is a problem across the board in, in a lot of the, the capital city housing markets is the inventory levels, the stock levels are so low. Now, the inventory levels are low because there's not a lot of listings. Um, it would be interesting to see if there was a significant uptick of list, listings across the board and back to normal circumstances, how is demand going to keep up with that uptick? We are yet to see that. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. And I'm the data geek, Kent Lardner. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecast report which experts can you trust to get it right the elephant in the room.com.au in this episode we'll be discussing regions with positive indicators for market growth as well as areas where there are warning signs for houses and units and as we promised last month Kent's had a good look at the lenders, mortgage insurers, security location guides to see if we can get a heads up on danger zones for mortgage stress. Everyone's been talking about the COVID cliff. Is this where these cliffs reside? Now, he discovered something else in this process, and we're sure you'll be very interested in this. So stay tuned and all will be revealed. Hi, Kent. Hello. How are you, Veronica? Okay. Hello, Chris. Kent, I'm very excited to talk about a true elephant in the room that you found. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit later around LMI data. So, um, yeah, it astounds me that what some of the risk scores are. So let's talk about that a bit later. But what else has been happening? I've been uh, playing around with a lot of uh, days on market analytics and risk analytics for a, for a, a bank at the moment, uh, very focused on high density areas, so that's always a, a given, uh, and, and uh, building some models to estimate how long the property will take to sell. Oh, as in you reckon you can guess? Nerding out. So, yeah, some of the variables are you've got some macro stuff. If the whole suburb is slow, it's going to be slow, but then it's relative to the price. So there's some uh, interesting, nerdy machine learning model at play. Mm, well, we shall be open ears to hear a bit more about that. Now, um, let's get into the suburbs that you've been uh, highlighting as some, you know, some good areas, say. Regional areas have been top of mind as working from home takes hold and city slickers head to the trees and the coast. So let's get stuck into the regional areas where houses are in the highest demand. Kent, what is first on our list? Yeah, I think the first one we'll look at is it's in the Sydney uh, basin still, just at the end of it, um, Richmond. So um, uh, Richmond's one of those very, very old suburbs um, settled by the Europeans. It was, I think it was settled before Newcastle. I had to get Newcastle in there. I know you guys said, God, you don't wait. talk We're don't the first talk. five minutes. <laughs> so I think it was settled around you know, five, six or seven years before Newcastle. So Richmond... Um, is an interesting one. It's uh, it's obviously got all of those you know, solid conditions of, of uh, low days of market, low inventory, trending the right way, but equally in a, in a broader region, what we call the SA3 region, the broader market uh, is behaving itself and, and looking solid as well. So we, we picked out Richmond as the first one. The price distribution, pretty normal. It's, it's bulk of pro properties, are in that six to eight hundred thousand, so it's relatively affordable for for Sydney prices. Um, there's some units out there, not an abundance of units, but um, you know there's a fair few. The main property types, are, you've got fifty five percent of them are houses, so you've got a lot of but you've got a lot of um, duplexes and townhomes and medium density out there as well. So that's uh, that's our first one. 
So that, that's located on the Hawkesbury River, right? It's up near Windsor. You've got a, a RAF base up there. You're in the foothills of the Blue Mountains. Um, it's quite a rural, I mean, it's probably not so rural these days. Anyway, it used to be part of the food basin of Sydney, right? Well, that, um, was, that was the thing. I think um, Lachlan Macquarie was very happy when that was all established because that was the food bowl where they could obviously have had soil that, that was worth growing stuff in. But uh, probably the standout for me is uh, the rented properties, 45% rental. So that obviously points a lot to the, um, to the mm. airport, a mm. lot of the Air Force. But if that's the case, well, I think why, I mean, and I did also notice, uh, I had a quick look to see how many houses are actually on the market at the moment. There's 28. Um, and there's a good diversity of stock, whereas a lot of other places you look at how many houses are on the market, it's like it's all new. Or um, mm. in this particular instance, there's a little bit of new stuff. There's a, quite a lot of older stuff. There's different size properties. There's those closer in town, those a bit further out. I mean, there's actually quite a diversity in terms of the age of the stock, the, the build material of the stock um and that says all good things to me you know when you see a lot of the same you've got you've got a real worry so that means sort of that everything's a bit scarce across across the board there but what is it you know in terms of your data in terms of you know what why you put on the list what is it that flags for you as a as a, a good area to look at I, I think for me it's always my lead indicators of uh, uh the the rental tenure um, is all the rental data looks okay in that it, there's not a lot of uh, high vacancy rates, so that's trending in the right direction. So we look at the, the rental, but the primary yeah, variable is, is inventory. So is the, is the inventory trending well for that particular suburb and is it trending and is it relatively low for the region? And in both cases, uh, it, it's classified as a, as a seller's market because it's below four months. It's, it's a little bit below three months, actually, at the moment. So things are coming on and they're still selling within a, a reasonable time frame. I think a really good tip for our listeners is to use the satellite feature on Google Map. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it's probably, I don't even look at real maps anymore. It just goes straight to satellite. <laughs> you can learn so much by just, you know, zooming down kind of the bird's eye view and, Going on Street View, I was just looking on, you know, it's amazing that we can do that anywhere in the world. But when I was looking at Richmond, I found it really interesting that you couldn't actually see many new house and land packages, even on the fringes of the suburb, where, you know, North Richmond, it's definitely happening. You can yeah. see there's all these three, 400 square metre blocks. Um, and so there's just not that sort of periphery of, you know, new builds that are just getting built out. So maybe that's some... I don't know, but maybe it's council sort of legislation and the zoning and, and things like that. So um, we're, we're seeing that. There's some nice old, beautiful old houses there, stunning. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing a few clients who would never have looked at Richmond before. Um, and, you know, Dural. Dural is another area where, uh, you know, we've had a few clients in the last few weeks mention that that's their ultimate dream. That's what they want to do. And um, I don't think people had the confidence to do that you know, prior to COVID, but now they're saying, well, hang on a sec, you know, maybe we should, you know, do what we've always thought we wanted to do. So it's an interesting one. Yeah, it's, it's like the stuff that you would otherwise say, no, you're buying with your heart, you know, five years ago, we would have, you know, the, these these areas, they're, they're lifestyle-esque and, and now they've taken on a different, uh, a different perspective because of work from home. It is definitely you are seeing and and I'm talking to agents sort of in in areas and they're talking about a lot of their owners that are selling up to get out of the city. It's a long held dream and they're just now's the time. COVID's sort of prompted all of that. So I think there's it's quite well documented and we are seeing evidence and we've already been seeing evidence sort of even in um, in prices and obviously lower stock. Um, but in this particular area too, I mean. I guess what makes you, I mean, you're looking at the SA3, so that's not just a suburb. And, yeah. and I'm presuming North Richmond would be in that SA3 and North Richmond's the part with all the new subdivision. So how is it that, you know, what are the numbers telling us in terms of why is that not such an impact in that area versus in other areas? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll just pull it up now. So Richmond um, is, is uh, in the SA3, the SA3 region is Richmond-Windsor. So, and then what we've got is, so if I pull up North Richmond, um, I'm just going to enter that now into the computer and tell you straight up, North Richmond uh, is still, is yes, it is. It's in that same sub-region um, as expected, but I just wanted to double check. But uh, North Richmond 
uh, has an inventory level that has declined from six months ago. So, you know, as we, we identified some uh, some newer type of stock there, but the inventory level now for that North Richmond location is four months. So um, if it were trending upwards, I would uh, that would likely be mm. Be picked up in the in the data in the uh, in the approach that I've taken, uh, but it's it was high six months ago and it's it's dropped significantly. So it was close to seven months, um, which is a mm. balanced market, but it's, uh, it's relatively high in comparison to the rest of the suburbs across city. Um, but now that's down to four. So obviously, you know, buyers are coming in at a greater volume than sellers. Mm, interesting. Well, one thing that that I always laugh when you talk about, I think that's your sort of benchmark is not the tipping point is four month stock. Um, it, it, it's if in Sydney, inner Sydney or in, in these urban areas, inner Melbourne, when you're not in lockdown, um, if you had a property sitting on the, on the property, sorry, property sitting on the market for four months, it'd be well and truly on the nose. No. <laughs> your averages, I presume, are Australia-wide averages, are they? Yeah, and this is not a days-on-market measure. Even though days-on-market is a uh, highly, highly correlated to it, mm-hmm. this is quite a different metric. This is obviously counting yeah. how many properties on average are currently listed and how many properties on average over the last few months have been selling. Um, so it's a, it's a ratio of those two. So it's not the same as yeah, no. saying what is the median days on market or cumulative days. Gee, I struggle with that word. Uh, days on <laughs> no, it's good to spell that out. And I just wanted to spell that out because, you know, we do bandy these terms around and, and, you know, we can sort of forget that they can be easily interpreted. And likewise, when we're talking about these areas where there's low inventory and there's low days on market on the rental side of things, that we're not recommending these areas to be buying in. What we're all we're doing is having a discussion around the fact that these are areas that the data suggests um, are looking um, pretty robust in terms of market. And and so it's really just a conversation around the fundamentals, foundations, what might be underlying that. Um, it's certainly not an endorsement of any of these areas on our part. So I just wanted to make that quite clear. Yeah, 100%. I think the key thing is is that there's learnings that when you're talking about these suburbs where some suburbs are having a proliferation of sort of stock, a lot of the new build areas, and some areas are staying strong and looking at the fundamentals on why they're potentially, you know, outperforming the market. Now, uh, is that the optimal place to invest? Probably not in our view, but, um, you know, it's just about, I guess, identifying places all over the country that are having problems and where other areas are potentially staying stronger. And I think that's it's a good point to make, Veronica, because... Yeah, if you're looking to buy an investment property, you're not saying Richmond's the best place in Australia to buy it. And also, we don't don't want to dwell on the same suburbs. You know, there's always going to be foundation suburbs that we would kind of talk about the same handful of suburbs every month. So we're mixing it up. Yes. Okay, so the next one on your list, the pick list, is... I've got Wellington Point and the East... Wellington it's a Point. Funny one, this one. So this is sort of southeast of Brisbane. Or it, it is it a suburb of Brisbane? Is it within? Yeah, it is. It is. If you you talk to the old original you know, Brisbaneites, they kind of look at you a bit funny if you said, "Hey, I, I live down at Wellington Point," because they don't see it. They never used to see it as part of Brisbane. It was this outskirts suburb. Um, you know, anything outside of twenty minutes, I think most most of the old school Brisbaneites would uh, would would say that's not really Brisbane. Um, <laughs> But you know, it's 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 it's, uh, it's right on, on the ocean, right? Yeah, well, it's right out, yeah. right on the bay. Um, it's 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 a it's got a, a train station, which is a good line into the city, and I think that's mm. one of the standouts that you've got a beautiful little village feel. You've got a beautiful strip of shops, and you've got a long road called Main Road that runs down to this reserve that's in the middle of the water with, you know, you can walk out to one of the islands on low tide, just don't stay there too long. (laughs) (laughs) The water will come back in. Don't blow one of those blocks of land at low tide either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was, yeah, there was, there was something in the 80s, someone sold a whole stack of land, whole stack of land that's, um, yeah, high tide. I think your house is on the pontoon. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a fascinating suburb. It's it's ninety percent houses, but you know there are enough um, medium density properties and some, some walk up units here and there to 
um, to, to talk to. I personally, I, I wouldn't, I'd steer clear of the, the medium density stuff, the strata stuff down there. There's plenty of affordable, relatively affordable houses. But one of the unique things is it's got a very long tail when it comes to prices because you've got these um, water view properties or water edge property yeah. um, that you know, can get up there and some of the higher price properties on main road are up around $3.5 million. So you've got you know, a number, yeah. number, number of properties, a number of streets that kind of get into the, the high, you know, the 1.8 million and above. Um, but you know the bulk of your properties are still in that six hundred to eight hundred thousand mark. So, you know, I'll, I'll use the term relatively affordable, and you can get a, a property that uh, gets some bay breezes, uh, is near a train line, is it's picturesque as a suburb. It's quite nice, and you can go down to the uh, edge of edge of the, the water on the, at the end of the day for for a walk. How much? Um, what, what's the percentage that you would say is owned by investors? And are there a lot of weekenders down there? Well, no, there's not a lot. It, it used to be a sleepy old, you know, going back 50 years, it would have been considered an old sleepy hollow fisherman village, but that's not the case now. It's still relatively low, about 22% of the properties are rented. So that's not that's not high. Um, so it's not known as a, 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 you know, a, a rental suburb as such. Yeah, what one of the things I when I'm looking at a city is I'll look at you know you know do a quick search on domain or real estate and you know throw over two million dollars right and um, you know as an example to see where the money is and you can easily see that that's a part of Brisbane where you know people with money want to live right and so there must be some lifestyle benefits of why people want to live there and I guess you know kind of with the work from home thing as well that must be playing into this as well within Brisbane and people are saying well. You know, that's it's, it's a sort of lifestyle option alternative. It's a little bit further away, um, you know, but it's still close to Brisbane if I want to commute. So do you think that's got a part to do it's with it as well? Big, uh, one of the standouts, when you kind of look at all the data and say, what jumps off the page? It's the um, household income uh, over 1900 per week. So that's, mm. that's pretty high. You know, that's your median. You know, half, half, mm. the popular, half the households in that suburb are earning more than that. So you've got you've got most twenty percent over twenty percent of people are professionals. So what I'd say this this COVID thing is going to push that up. You'll have more professionals, yep. um, and you'll have a higher household income rate. And so I, I, I think that's going to be a driver. And there's only so many properties along along Main Road and some of these waterside um, streets. So we've already seen this happen around Winter Manly, just up the road a little bit. So a lot of the yeah. Bayside suburbs and Bayside streets in these suburbs, the demand is really starting to drive now. That's it, isn't it? It's not just this. So these suburbs are scarce because there's only so many suburbs along the water, right? And then there's only so many houses along those water in those suburbs and so even if you go out to the you know outskirts there's scarcity and that's whenever you're buying wherever you're buying that's what you're looking for so uh, but that, they're becoming more scarce because more people want them and more pe- and there's less people probably wanting to move out of those areas than before so it's a really interesting sort of suburb to look at because a lot of people say i'll oh, just invest in the inner ring of say sydney melbourne brisbane but arguably you know there's there's options you know when you start going to these other scarce locations around the city yeah, and I, you're, one of your favourite pastimes is looking up, you know, the real estate portals and look, you know, looking through the listings. And you pull up listings in places like here, and they are beautiful properties. They're you know, beautiful yeah. Hampton-style properties with water views. So you can see what the temptation is, especially for a lot of those people exiting Melbourne, you know, wanting to exit Melbourne. Mm. You know, wow, I just want to get out now. And you know, $2 million. Wow, look what I can buy not, not that far out of Brisbane. So uh, I think you've got uh, an attraction in these suburbs for the those exiting Sydney, uh, exiting Brisbane, who don't uh, think it's a, not, a non-Brisbane suburb. They see it as a Brisbane suburb, but a, 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 beautiful, a beautiful spot at the same time. Apparently, the demand uh, for buyers' agents in Brisbane has just gone through the roof from people yeah, out land yes <laughs> so ah oh dear so okay so the third one on our list is drum roll drum roll i think we well we kind of rolled up two we've got uh, two in in south australia and in the adelaide so one's called happy valley and the other one's redwood park so focus on happy valley it's gr- such a great name you know you, 
Uh, how, could it, how could a suburb not perform well with a name like Happy Valley? <laughs> it reminds me of like a Simpsons sort of, you know, making up this beautiful suburb name with this kind of, you know, uh, Truman Show sort of feel to it, isn't it? <laughs> the sinister industrial zone at the very edge of it, spilling. Yeah, not this one. Not this <laughs> one. This, is, this has got, you know, this is an old farmland and, and you know, beautiful beautiful views into a valley. So it's quite nice. Um, so again. There's a reservoir in the middle of it, right? It's quite sorry? big. There's a it's, big, massive reservoir in the middle of it. Yeah, it's at the largest water treatment facility um, in, in Adelaide. Oh, well, there you go. So mm. maybe there is something wrong with that. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that sinister industrial. Anyway, you know I mean, I did look. There's 18 on the market at the moment. And for me, it looks like it's the, as an area developed sort of probably about 30, 40 years ago. Um, and it does mm. look like there's a very affordable, a lot of property under 400000 yeah, I, I, there's a standout with these suburbs. That, you know, obviously we, we we look at these listings and do a bit of homework before the show. And both the the Happy Valley suburb and the Redwood Park. Um, when I looked at them, every listing's got a stamp under offer, under offer, under offer. All of them. So that's that's a mm -hmm. strong indicator that you know the demand is high. They they just can't get enough stock. I spoke to a buyer's agent who was. Uh, looking to buy properties down there or was getting off the market properties and uh, the agents are saying, sorry, mate, um, I'm putting it on the market now. Um, things have turned that much. So there's no way in the world we're not going to list this. It does make me feel a little bit uneasy uh, when you mention buyers agents buying these type of suburbs. Um, I know you're going to mention they're at Redwood, Redwood Park, Um and I've seen buyers agents doing similar things, um, you know, not buyers agents I've referred to, but, you know, clients saying they're working with this buyers agent and they're recommending these type of suburbs. I just think in Adelaide, you know, you're talking quite far away from the city. Yes, they're affordable, but is it that desirable to sort of the aspirational family in Adelaide? You know, when they've got a little bit more money, they can get a lot more for their money and almost... You know, seven hundred thousand dollars in Adelaide goes a long, long way, um, and so I just—I'm a little bit. I find it hard to. What's up? I'm not sure it does anymore. Seven hundred thousand. Um, I'm curious though. What's what's the median incomes in these? I mean, uh, and the reason I say I don't—I'm not sure—is because we did some shows down in Adelaide a few years back. I mean, God, we're probably talking about seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, clients with sort of seven hundred fifty thousand dollar budget and. Yes, they're buying in nice suburbs, but it wasn't easy, you know, to find them nice properties at that price then. Um, well, it's not, it's not bad. It's thirteen ninety one. So the average household weekly income in Happy Valley is, uh, you know, close to $1,400, and that's from the census mm. um, you know, dating back 2016. So that's anything above 1200 stands out to me because mm. it's, you know, it's obviously a median. Um, and... The, the uh, listing price at the moment, so saying, you know, 700 buys a lot, well, four or 500 buys a lot here. Well, it does. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. So I think that's the driver. But you are 20Ks from Adelaide, and that's a long way in Adelaide. For Adelaide. For, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, in Brisbane, it's the same thing. You get, you know, 30, 40K out of Brisbane, people look at you as like you don't live in Brisbane. <laughs> it's the same in Adelaide. You know, you're, you're 10 minutes out. You're a long way out. Mm. Yeah. So, but yeah. on the other one, the Redwood Park that you talk about, um, that's in the Tea Tree Gully region. That's um, in the foothills of the Adelaide Hills. So potentially, if these are picturesque sort of areas, potentially it is coming back to that. I don't need to be close to the CBD now. I, don't, I mean, I don't know because I don't really know what's what's uh, the drivers of the Adelaide market. That I'm not that familiar with them, and I wonder if that's got something to do with it. Well, it does. And look, there's a lot of tradies, a lot of tradespeople choose to live in these locations. So if you, you know, if you're part of that booming house and land market, um, you've got to live somewhere yourself. So I think um, you know this is a suburb that's dominated with tradespeople. The income here is pretty pretty good as well, fifteen thirty seven. You know, so these are, are relatively high income levels. Uh, I think if you if you look at the, the the employment, then I think a lot of these people are technical and trades. Um, I don't have that data right in front of me on that one, but um, 
yeah, it's a, a typical working class, trade class suburb with some reasonable income, 97% houses. So it's, mm. um, and you can buy a lot for, you can buy a lot for 400K. And here's the thing, though, which is interesting because, you know, there's, I, I did look, Happy Valley's got 18 on the market currently, uh, Redwood Park 17. Uh, yes, a lot of those are under offer. Um, you say that buyer's agents who are buying in that area, and I'm guessing that's not a local buyer's agent buying in that area somehow, um, and that's where there's danger of getting those buyer's agents to buy outside their area of um, local knowledge. Mm. Um is it a bit like Hobart, where the prices are being pushed up by outsiders buying there as investors? Yeah, well, Hobart's been hot for a long time, but it's also been one of those markets that goes hot and cold. So I think we learn a lot more. The reason why you're going to Hobart is because that's been happening for a long time. Mm. Um, you know, hot and cold. The question is, I think there's been a lot less cold spots as, you know, it, it starts to get some momentum. And unemployment was always the worry. You go back, you know, 30 years, 30, 40 years, people were mainly worried about jobs when it's when it came to living in, in Tasmania. This whole shift towards work from home, I think, changes a lot of the rules around the picturesque lifestyle locations. It does change the rules. It doesn't t- tip them on their head, but it does change the rules. So what it, what it does, though, yeah. is, and this is, I guess this is why these conversations are so important, because... If and, and I'm only just positing this, right? If you know those with those with access to data are sitting down saying, right, this area is about to go off because of some of the indicators that you're talking about, and they say, right, we've got to get our clients buying investment properties in those areas, and then the areas start going up, and the locals can't afford to buy in them, and all that, or they can, or the prices start going up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it's sort of a manufactured demand, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. It's, I mean, I'm not saying this has happened, but it could happen. You know, this is a danger with us looking at data. Yeah. And this is why we have this, as I said, that's why we have these conversations. But it's one of the dangers of data. Well, I, one of the big drivers, sorry, Chris, I've, I've jumped in over the top there, but a lot of these markets are, are off a low base, especially in these regional towns. So it doesn't take too much in terms of extra demand from outside to push yeah. things up, to, to, oh. to certainly outstrip supply. And, and, and we've got a lot of these markets as well are off a low base. So it doesn't take too much to have one of those headline stories of 20% growth in median price, yeah. you see? So I think there's two things at play here. We've got regional areas that don't have a lot of inventory or don't have a lot of stock uh, at any given time. And then suddenly a slight uptick. All it takes is just the, you know, an extra four or five buyers coming up from Sydney or wherever. Yeah. Uh, and things change dramatically. And then the headlines all kind of support story yeah exactly so then you get this positive feedback loop so they're like oh i bought for a client for 350 and now it's worth 400 and because of a very small number of sales in that area that they're using as sort of evidence to prove to their current customers that they've done a good job and then they'll say we'll buy another one right um and then the new customers are saying well they think that that uh short-term growth is a good sign that it's going to continue forever so you have all these sort of people it's called the greater fool theory that'll buy, uh, you know, 400, and then they're the ones who don't get any growth, um, or potentially they get price falls because the buyers agents then just shift onto the next suburb um, that they know they can manufacture this sort of short-term growth. Um, I'd be really careful buying any suburb that what's going for it is affordability because mm. as soon as you potentially move that affordability sort of shift to, you know, something that's super affordable to moderately affordable. <laughs> Nothing's going um, for anymore. <laughs> Is what's the thing that's going to take it next level? Like yeah. if it's not aspirational, then it's just the only thing is going to keep it. So if it's not cheap, then it's not that desirable. So I think um, you've got to be super careful. I think you're right. The stats on these sort of areas look good, but I would say be very cautious um, using information like this to kind of then base your decision and um, using buyers agents to buy in these areas. Yeah. So let's look at the housing market. It's, 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 you know, if we, we're talking about these locations, the numbers of the reason why they're on our list is because the numbers are, are, are currently mm-hmm. looking good, and we can now talk to the both the, the you know be very objective about it. We've got no yeah. skin in the game in it, so it's a, that's a good outcome. I know, I love it. Uh, let's look at the housing markets with warning signs, and we haven't forgotten the LMI data. It's going to be <laughs> to see if it's. <laughs> Kent's danger zones, and we discuss that a little later. What have you got us? Yeah, uh, I've got, 
I've got an interesting one. Chris threw it to me. He said, look, I, I want a, a suburb that's uh, not a great story, but in the Sydney basin or Melbourne area. And and it was it's hard. It's it's you know because a lot of the uh, the key indicators that I use, um, a lot of the a lot of the markets are still in that seller's grade, you know. Um, but the one that stood out is a very very small suburb with a low income, low household income, uh, low lower socioeconomic demographic, uh, seven hundred forty nine dollars per week income level. Um, it's a suburb called Yonora, um, so it's kind of nestled between Guildford, Fairfield area. Um, some, some very high unemployment rate in the adjacent um, SA2 of Fairfield, 18.8%. So high unemployment, God. lower on the decile ranking for socioeconomic advantage, et cetera. Um, and I'm starting to see the, some, some slight shifts in the data that tell me that something might be, this might be a canary in the coal, coal mine in terms of housing market shifts. So we're seeing an upward tick in the uh, days of market an upward tick in uh, inventory levels. We're seeing a decrease in, in, in the median. It's depending on how you slice and dice the median, obviously. But some of the indicators are there to say, I wonder if we come back to this suburb in a month's time or two months' time, what will the story be? Now, I've, with this, because I did quickly look on, I just looked on realestate.com.au for Yonora for houses, and there's only four listed. It's, there's not many there. so. Uh, again, this is a problem across the board in, in a lot of the, the capital city housing markets is the inventory levels, the stock levels are so low. Now, the inventory levels are low because there's not a lot of listings. Um, it would be interesting to see if there was a significant uptick of list, listings across the board and back to normal circumstances, how is demand going to keep up with that uptick? We are yet to see that. So what, what were your mm. markers on this? Is it because of the lower socioeconomic um, you know, area? No, I wasn't looking for that. I was trying to look for just going through a, effectively a spreadsheet with some filters to say, mm -hmm. is inventory going up? Is days on market going up? Are prices going down? And there's very, very few suburbs that get to the top of those lists in the capital cities right now, especially for houses. Uh, in yeah. units, we can go through that all day long. Now, before I sort of move on to your next example, is that because, you know, we've already discussed ad nauseum um, some of those areas such as Austral, such as, you know, Rouse Hill, those areas that have, that have got a lot of new supply. We've already discussed those. So we're sort of yeah. filtering those out of this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about the established areas where there's not a huge amount of supply in, in most of our capital cities are really um, don't have a lot of stock on the market at the minute and it appears that there's there's upward pressure on prices. Is that what you're as a well, sort of... couple of lessons that I'm pulling out of this one um, is that you've got some properties that have been selling at, at pretty high prices. You know, you've got uh, one street there, we've got Antioch yep. that sold for over a million dollars. Yet you're in an area that the household income is $749. Mm. Uh, you know, Orchard Lee Street sold, you know, I don't have the date on this, but this is kind of within the last five years, you know, 985. So you've got a, quite a few sales up in that 800 to 1 mil mark mm. in, a, in an area yeah. lower socioeconomic. Now, so the, the question I've got is if the unemployment rate's like that, and it could get worse, obviously, post-COVID, I just wonder if we are starting to, to, to shape the tree in terms of, we, you know, we've got housing markets been surging, 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 everything yep. has been great for so long. And now suddenly we've got some economic headwinds. Mm. And, and are these initial, are these suburbs that are uh, suffering the most or will, will potentially suffer the most because of their socioeconomic conditions, are they the canary in the coal mine? I don't know yet. Mm. Oh, one to watch then. Hey? And a lot of the developers, uh, you know, in a boom time, right? They would have thought they could just cut them up and then just put townhouses on them, and you know, units. And a lot of the, I'm looking on here. There's a lot of sort of bigger blocks, you know, thousands and mm. you know, fifteen hundreds, etc. Old old houses that aren't going to appeal to home buyers because they need a lot of work, renovation, and the block's too big. So. You know, I, I, when you look at the supply of houses in Sydney, that sort of south of Parramatta, sort of north of um, Bankstown, sort of pocket, Liverpool, that sort of triangle, you know, it is going to be one of those areas where you look at the average sort of median price and the incomes 
maybe it doesn't sort of add up. And if it's not that sort of strong, you know, ripple effect where people are just buying the next suburb, they've got choice now. So they don't have to live, you know, in that middle ring. They might go, well, I'll live in the outer ring or I'll move to Central Coast or I'll move to... So, you know, I do think it's one of those areas where it's, it's you know, you're going to have to watch because... Um, you know, so demand isn't there and if supply starts to increase you get that opposite effect to what you were talking about Ken where prices are going up where they shift the needle you can easily get that with too much supply well the, the, the topic we were talking about earlier is, is what's driving demand and, and, and these original these suburbs originated with manufacturing you know these were born of these are industrial centers yeah and these mm. are where the workers lived and then and then obviously manufacturing exited in the last 30 years. Um, I don't think it'll come back on mass to, to, to make these boom areas. The second wave, obviously, and part of that industrial boom was that we had a lot of Europeans come in. Yeah. You know, that we had people come in from the Middle East. So it's driven by immigration, a lot of demand here. So I think a lot of the yes. here is still the kids of those immigrants wanting to live near their parents. That's the yeah. driver here. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's going to be a good one to watch because I think that's why I asked you about Sydney, sort of Melbourne, not new house and land packages because, you know, there are issues in established markets and it's going to be good to track where are those issues for the housing markets because you might find there's two different stories. You've got the more established sort of aspirational housing markets, very low stock and ideal uh, demand potentially is increasing with low rates and, and things like that. But there'll be other pockets of Sydney and Melbourne that are, the fundamentals are flipping the other way. Well, we've got a whole new dimension on the data now, or on the on on the on the, the market, which is the the, the government subsidised buyers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're throwing yeah. the data away out. Now, another topic on that one, yeah. But sort of aligned to that topic is, um, you know, the state government has come out saying, look, you know, you local councils, we still expect you, even though the population, we're not getting this population increase this year, but we might still next year or the year after that or whatever, you still got to build homes, right? There's been this pressure the state government has applied on local government areas. And some of the local government areas, and it's not just the NIMBYs, you know, they're, they're saying, well, we actually, we don't need to create that much more housing at the moment because our population growth has actually slowed due to COVID. And Liverpool Council, interestingly enough, has sort of put their hand up to say, oh, oh no, we still want to build just as many, you know, new homes and new apartments. <laughs> so, and and it's funny because many, many times I hear you, Chris, saying, oh, it's because they want more rates. And I thought, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. But then when you do think about it, you think, okay, more people brings more dollars, brings more activity into your, into your LGA. You know what I mean? I guess in that sense, in terms of just generating more um, economic activity, that's what people do, right? And so it just was an interesting thing that Liverpool Council were quite vocal about, no, we want to continue to develop. We, um, we had a brown paper bag um, council for a while here. <laughs> oh, my one, Lockhart Council, famous for it. <laughs> Um, the next one on the list, um, Port Douglas, and, <laughs> and quite different. <laughs> quite different, and, and and that's what we wanted, you know. And, and fifty percent rented properties as of census twenty sixteen. So that's a standout. Thirty nine percent freestanding houses. There's a lot of duplexes and mm. small unit blocks. Um, you know, I I know a, a few people out of the out of Melbourne that store their you know their big luxury yachts up there and would fly up there. So that market's gone at the moment. And the question is, will those people, what will they do with their properties? Will they just keep them and move up there, or you know, business as usual, or will they flog them off depending on their econ economic circumstances? So um, very interesting for the house prices. There's two distinct markets. There's that you know market that tips in around that million dollar mark and then another significant market around that 600 to 800 K. So, you know, bimodal, um, two very different property markets, those, you know, near the, the water with the views and those in suburbia. Do you know, uh, look, I did look on online to see how many is on the market, 112 currently on the market, a lot of townhouses and duplexes in, included in that mix. And, you know, and I did wonder, is that because, you know, people from other states haven't been going up there and having their little holidays. But, do you know, we did a couple of episodes of the show up there as well. And I guess, you know, my national um, 
viewpoint comes very much from a lot of those property searches that we did. And so, God, we did the first one in Mission Beach, so it's a couple of hours out of Cairns. Um, back in 2010, I think we went there. Um, 2011 or 12, somewhere around there, we went up to uh, Trinity Beach, you know, Palm Cove, that area. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Look, what was on the market up then, up there at that time were properties that you couldn't build for the same price they were trying to sell them for. You know, they, they might, one property I remember, I think they spent about 1.5 building it. So that's on top of whatever they pay for the land and they're trying to get a million for it. I, I think it's, you know, it, it's always an area where I think um, there's a lot to be bought. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's Queensland, there's a lot of land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big long coast and lots of box jellyfish and crocodiles and it's just um it's just sort of interesting because i know they're just going up there and, and learning the you know what's going on in these areas and it, it does seem to feel like a lot of people get a bit excited in in good times and go and build and buy up there and then in bad times it's such a long way away i mean cairns is another you know it's a three-hour flight from sydney how long did yeah. you buy there from Melbourne? Yeah. it's a long way from brisbane it, you know, it's another day in the car. I mean, you know what I mean? It's so far. It's like another country practically. Well, um, they, yeah, mm. they, they were wanting to try to create, Cata was trying to create North, a new state, wasn't he? North Queensland. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's just interesting that, of course, that's going to be, um, for me, I look at that and go, it's a bit of a no-brainer that that's going to be struggling. Um, and, and so what you're saying is the data is just showing it's you know it's not actually benefiting through the work from home movement. <laughs> no, no, it, it, and, and that was that was a standout. I, I you, know, you go in, you say, oh, this is a, one of those beautiful spots that people would search for online. You know, mm. it's mm. it's your, your known areas, your known tourism spots, and you you could be forgiven for for expecting the opposite. You think, wow, there's a, there should be an influx of people wanting to live in these beautiful big houses in a mm. beautiful spot have a, you know, a holiday year round, um, but it's certainly not the case here. So it seems to me that it's the commutable distance um, lifestyle yeah. bots seem to be the most, um, uh, doing the, the best at the moment in terms of the data. Interesting. Yeah, around our sort of capital cities, right? So Correct. it's around Brisbane, around Melbourne, around Sydney. Yeah. But for Douglas, you know, around Cairns, uh, yeah. it's not the same sort of it's story. It's not the same. It's not I think the same. It's interesting. Like we, uh, I remember looking at sort of what happened through the, the GFC and looking at what happened to house prices in certain areas and what got smashed. And, you know, up, for example, up, up in Northern Beaches got smashed because yeah. a lot of people sold their holiday homes in a recession. Um, you know, Noosa got absolutely yeah. hammered. You know, you're talking 50, 60% falls to house prices. Mm. Um, and so that hasn't happened this time. I mean, maybe it's, you know, part due to the stimulus from the government's not just being the same level as it was during then. But, you know, I, I think it's these holiday places um, are in a little bit of trouble because people, if it's retirees, what I smashed Noosa a bit is retirees potentially um, had a lot of their money in superannuation and had a house and then superannuation fell 50%. Um, and then, you know, exchange rates, et cetera. So, you know, a lot of people weren't getting the income they were getting. And so they couldn't afford to live and then their only option was to sell their house. And so that hasn't happened on the same scale. Stock markets have sort of recovered, but it's going to be interesting to see if you see there is a bit of another stock market crash for some reason, you know, plus, you know, unemployment being high, um, these sort of areas would get absolutely hammered. But what is interesting though, and I'm finding this talking to a number, I've spoken to a couple of buyers that, that are in this category. I spoke to a journalist around this. I spoke to some real estate agents around this. The purchases of holiday homes is on the up. And part of it is because they can't go on an overseas holiday. Now, it's quite interesting. You know, as a family, you might, I don't know, if you go business class, you might spend, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 grand even on a on a overseas holiday um if you're flying business class that is and you've got lots of kids um and so you know if you've got that much spare cash to have a holiday that sort of level you might think oh, okay i'll buy a house instead you know <laughs> it's just an interesting sort of um flip and it, it's not it's not a one-off you know there's a number of people saying oh well that's it time to buy a holiday home because we can't go overseas so there is mm. there is a fair amount of i know that we're talking about COVID cliffs so i know that we're talking about a lot of hardship and a lot of people there are still a lot of people around with a lot of money and 
they are choosing to spend it in not not necessarily Port Douglas, but like you said, Chris, within that commutable distance of a of a CBD. Um, there's a number of drivers, you know, those that want to work from home, but also those people buying holiday homes as well. I think pushing those prices up in those nearer areas. I, I think they're not actually holiday homes. I think they're second homes. So I think it's where they're not just going there six, you know, over school holidays and then maybe occasional weekend a month. They're going there almost much more regularly or they think they can go there much more regularly um, and they can go there Thursday to Monday. And that, I think, is a different sort of kettle of fish than I go there, you know, once a month, Friday to Sunday and I come back for work on Monday uh, and then I only use it in the school holidays. I think second homes are a bit of a different sort of trend, um, but I think COVID's allowing people to have those two bases. Yeah. Kent, I know that yeah. in Sydney and Brisbane uh, and probably the same will be happening in Melbourne soon, houses in good locations, you know, there's not everyone's looking for a sea or tree change. So houses in good locations in these capital cities are very much in demand while units are performing very differently. Now, what are some of the unit markets that your research identifies as being in trouble? Yeah, look, there's a couple that we, we've got all the usual suspects that will push to one side, those inner CBD. Uh, a couple of key things, obviously, um, the, the university precincts. So you can, mm -hmm. uh, if, you, if you do heat maps and you say, well, why is that particular suburb um, shining brightly? And it's um, you know, very, very high vacancy rates as a result of being near the university. So any of these university towns or university suburbs are, are all impacted. Um, so we've certainly got the case um, uh, here in uh, Newcastle, and I think that's a good topic for next, uh, you know, for the next time we can analyse all of the university precincts. Oh, I thought you were going to say Newcastle is a good topic for the next one. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I've done it in twice, right? I've thrown it in twice. Yeah, I think that's a great topic for the next one. We will make sure we come back with that, yes? Yeah, yeah so because the, there is some good uh, macro-level data that tells us uh, how many overseas students uh, exist per university. So it's a couple of years old, the data, but it's still interesting and relevant. So we can look at some of the universities that got you know upwards of 20% or more of their student base is, uh, in, is international student. Mm. Um uh, so the two unit markets uh, with warning signs that we're looking at, Doncaster East um, and the region is Manningham, Manningham West. And the uh, the second one is Epping uh, in Pennant Hills, Epping, SA3. So, um, Chris, you had a look at Doncaster East with your macro map search. What did you find? So... It's not just Doncaster East, it's actually also Doncaster. Um, I mean, like you say, when you use the portals, you can just quickly go Melbourne, then you go units, then you zoom out and you can see these little blobs where there's potentially a lot of apartments. And that Doncaster area, there's two big blobs, over 100 in Doncaster and Doncaster East. I mean, if you type in um, the point into Doncaster, um, 600 Doncaster Road, it's about... I'm looking at it now, it's about 12, 13 levels. It's probably 150 metres long. So there's probably, I don't know, there's hundreds and hundreds of apartments in this building. It's like this one that's been built down near Kirrawee um, in oh, uh, you know, down the Sutherland Shire. Yeah. It's a horrible, it's like, it looks like a shopping centre. Um, and there's just, and then in Doncaster, there's lots of that five, five, six level on the main roads where, you know, you get 20, 30 apartments in those sort of complexes. And, they're just not enough demand for this amount of stock getting built. And so you've got a lot of investors probably just running for the hills. You know, there's not that sort of desire for medium density living like there was prior to COVID. So, um, yeah, and Epping is, it's the same thing. It's if you look at... Before we the, move on out, Epping, before we move on Epping yeah. though, but Doncaster, like, you know, that's sort of in the foothills of the Dandenong. So it's really, you know, on the outskirts, northeastern outskirts of Melbourne, right? So, yeah. in general, and I, I did have a quick look there, and there's 49 units on the market currently, which is actually a lot, purely because through, through the shutdown, you know, pretty much everything got withdrawn from the market in Melbourne. There's not a lot on the market in Melbourne. So you've got 49 units there. That's a lot. Um, mm. But I wouldn't have thought that's really typically a, a, a unit dweller market, you know, in terms of location. You expect when you go to the outskirts of a city, particularly when you're in sort of a, a, an area that's sort of, 
fairly picturesque. You get into the Dandenongs, you know, it's hilly and bushy and lovely. You know, it's sort of, I wouldn't typically think, oh, yeah, I'm going to go and live in a unit out there. Do you know what I mean? It seems, it seems odd. Yeah, look, the, the, a lot of the suburbs on the way out from Melbourne, you know, going through Hawthorne and Campbellwell and whatnot, these are a, a pretty expensive suburb. So, mm. yeah, a lot of people are squeezed out. You can't buy in these spots unless you've got pocketfuls. So these, this is what's happened. People have been looking at these, you know, well-designed apartments um, as as an alternative to uh, because you can't buy a house if you uh, unless you're wealthy. Um, but probably an interesting thing here is um, how many listings uh, are owned by investors that are earning no money right now. And I'm counting at the moment around 73. Um, so 73 uh, are listed for three weeks or more and don't have any cash flow. And that's ignoring mm. we don't know much about in terms of you know what's their current cash flow situation. So Ouch. I think investors investors would be doing it very tough mm. in this suburb in a lot of these suburbs right now. I was talking to oh, a property 100%. manager, uh, a Melbourne uh, property manager, a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying that you know through the lockdown yeah. they could tenants could move out, but then you can't show the property to find a new tenant to move into it. So yeah. I'm like, well, where are they moving out to? And it's like, well, they might be moving in with friends or in with family or, you know, so um, that, and she had one, um, she had one uh, investor whose property had been vacant, I think since April, she said, um, mm. you know, because it was vacant, the rent was a little bit high. She didn't sort of adjust it in time. Maybe it was May, but, you know, and then bang, caught in the lockdown. And so now she's been going months vacant. So mm. there will be some people really hurting. Uh, I was chatting to a friend of mine uh, who runs a, a large agency in that part of the world, and he was he was just telling me some rather heartbreaking stories of investors that you know had a, a number of properties that just had no cash flow at all, uh, and the bank was not being friendly with them at all. Uh, he had some clients, investors that were rather suicidal. So it's there's two sides to it. Obviously, you know a lot of the media focus is on on the tenants who are doing it tough, mm. um, but. A lot of these landlords, they're struggling. Um, so, you know, obviously you got the ones that are called out that own five or six or more, more properties, but they're few and far between. Most are mar and yeah. one property, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they've bought these because a lot of them are new. So, like, you know, I think there's probably a bit of a council change in Doncaster. I don't know. I haven't gone and done the research, but imagine there's been a few zoning changes to allow much more medium density to be built. That's encouraged a lot of developers to jump on the bandwagon in the boom yeah. um, and you know because you're talking a few years for this stuff to get built that's the thing there's always a lag and so this was probably getting approved in 2016 17 and they built it all um, you know a few years later there's no demand so Box Hill is crazy if you are, ever want to see what can happen in the middle rings um, go to Box Hill mm -hmm. in Melbourne and you'll be astounded at just how tall the buildings are yeah. Um, you're talking like, you know, CBD height in the middle ring, you know, 250, 150, 200 metres. Like, it's just crazy. And I, I think um, you're right, Kent, there's, there's always a story with investors and, and they're big. This is what the whole podcast is about and everything we do is talking about is educating people so they don't have to make these, you know, huge mistakes where they're life-changing really. You know, if you bought an apartment for 500 and you sell it for 400, how do you go and save a hundred thousand dollars? How long is it? You know, it's 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 so, yeah. I, I it's hard to watch these new unit markets because the writing's been on the wall for years. Not alone building issues, cladding issues, um, etc. And now it's starting to to really hit people, especially if they haven't got any tenants. Well, immigration issues now. Mm, yeah. Yep. Sorry, and I cut you 100%. off before we were going to move into Beecroft, which is uh, in the Epping Pennant Hills area. Of yeah. Sydney. I think I I think I, I, I last minute I said let's just focus on Epping because Epping's data is a little bit more straightforward and um, what I looked at at Epping obviously we've got the the I'm just going to enter that in now so Epping New South Wales um, what we've got is vacancy rates above five percent I think it's just over six point oh seven so a lot of vacancy uh, there's 123 properties that I count that have, uh, have been listed for three weeks or more so no tenant no cash flow so that's a significant thing Ouch. inventory levels inventory levels are obviously now above that 12 month mark so uh, there's a there's a lot of property 
listed for sale relative to how many buyers there are. And obviously, sometimes you can try and dig deep and say, well, why and what's going on? And, and, and I've always remembered Epping was a strong area with a lot of Chinese uh, people I knew at you know, Macquarie Uni or wherever. Um, and, and what I did is I took a snapshot of the typical of the surnames of people buying five years ago and then a snapshot of the surnames of the people buying uh -huh. now. Yeah. And it was a dramatic shift away from uh, mainland Chinese or Cantonese surnames to, uh, you know, surnames you wouldn't know because it just says, you know, it's an anonymous uh, name, but equally uh, a significant drop down to about, I think it was like 20 or 30% were, were obvious um, Chinese surnames uh, from 80%. So a big change. Mm. Similar story, right? Like 2015, uh, five years ago, was height of the boom, you know? 2000, that was when investors were, that's what APRA was bringing a lot of legislation to slow down investors, you know, restrict interest only loans. Um, and a lot of, there was a, a huge foreign investment sort of parts of the market that would have been concentrated in certain postcodes mm. and certain types of buildings. So a lot of new because they could only buy new. Mm. Um, and so, and then a lot of, that sort of foreign investor um, believe that news better, especially the Chinese sort of demographic. Um, so you would see a lot of sort of, for example, mainland China sort of foreign investors would have bought these apartments um, to support our construction industry, to be honest. Um, it's not just Epping, it's Macquarie Park as well. Like if you look at um, that area, there's a huge, you know, it's probably, to be honest, it's just as bad as, for example, the, the Waterloo's, if not worse than that sort of um, airport sort of apartment city area. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely concerning. And you'd be have a lot of tenant issues because good luck trying to rent out your apartment in Epping, um, you know, right now when there's hundreds of hundreds of others for rent. Yeah, and I think that's a biggie. And, and the CCP news is effectively hosing down the Aussie market right now. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's not just our wine and barley getting smacked up. Mm, interesting. Right. Now, we've talked about some of the areas that you've identified through uh, as risky through your inventory and your days on market for rental analysis. Let's move to that LMI security risk data. Now, firstly, Ken, can you just explain what it is? Yeah. So um, uh, traditionally, the uh, mortgage insurers would use uh, postcodes to then drive what they would lend in terms or what they would um, underwrite in terms of maximum uh, loan to value or LVR, loan to value ratio, um, and, you know, and maximum loan amounts. Um, and um, you you would look up, uh, you know, QBE's the, the biggie now, but Gemworth in its day was the, the real big mortgage insurer. And that was the go-to for all the mortgage brokers and the lenders, and that, that's how they determine, you know, what they would um, advise their, their, their customers as to what they could borrow, um, given whatever deposit they had. and. I, um, I thought I'd, I'd look at these um, suburbs and, and I originally went in with the intention of picking out the ones that were currently high risk and calling out them as, as, as potentially low risk and incorrectly flagged. That wasn't what I learned. Right. I learned quite the opposite. I, I've got a number of that both, both LMIs have classified as one and then I've paired it up to the current just houses um, the housing inventory levels and number of listings. And I've gone, oh my gosh, there's some markets here that we would usually talk to as high risk and they've got them in as category ones. And, and a standout here, for example, is Kembla Grange. So, you know, it's got 39 um, house listings. It's, you know, it's, it's a lovely spot, but you've got a lot of houses in there that are duplexes, um, that are on 300 square metre block size. Or so three Kimber square. Kimber Grange is just south of Wollongong, well, isn't it? Wollongong. It's uh, yeah. quite a lot of new development down there over the years, yeah? In that pocket there. But uh, then you've got Austral. Now we talk about Austral a fair bit. Yeah. Um, you've, got, you've got over 400 houses listed for sale in, in Austral with, you know, so uh, the demand data that we can process just doesn't seem to match anywhere near the volume of listings. So uh, again, we always call it out, the holding cost for a developer is low because it's usually a patch of dirt, but not in all cases. So you've got a lot of suburbs here and I've got typically 100, 100 suburbs 
that they have classified as category one low risk, where you could you effectively for 5% deposit borrow 900K, and I've got 100 that I would challenge as uh, not low risk. Okay, Chris, you're a conspiracy theorist. What do you think's going on? <laughs> uh, so it's funny you say that, Veronica, because I was looking at the data in two different ways. Firstly, I was saying, well, without doubt, these are massively high risk sort of areas. You've got massive amounts of inventory, a lot of new stock, a lot of big debts. Like, how could you possibly not have these categorized as high risk? And you know, we don't do many clients buying in-house and land packages. I think anyone listening to the podcast would know why we, we avoid those areas and, and turn our clients away from those areas. And there's lots of these areas that we talk about on these suburb trends on this list. And so you just think, what is happening here? And to be honest, I actually think that they're in too deep. So I think that they've already gone in there and mortgage insurers pay out if there's losses on money, right? And so the last thing the mortgage insurer wants to do is pull the carpet out on a suburb because they're going to foot the bill. So they're going to have to keep Ooh. on allowing people to be borrowing at 80, 90, 90, 95% in these suburbs, because if they didn't, if they change that suburb to an 80%, like cap three suburb where you need a 20% deposit, they're not going to mortgage insure it. Then the demand in that suburb would not no longer appeal to first home buyers that have got small deposits. And if that's the case, who's going to buy a new house and land package if they can't get a 90% loan? So I actually think oh. they're putting a cat one. The reason they're putting it as cat one is because if they changed it, the, the suburb would collapse in price and then they would foot the bill. So their only option is just to keep on kicking that can down the road um, because you know that's, otherwise they're going to have a huge bill. Oh. What do you reckon, Ken? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, um, I... I'm in two minds because I look at the publish publication date of, of the Gemworth one. It's got 2016 on it. So if you do the Google search <laughs> oh and you say you know, Gemworth Security Location Guide, now I don't know if it's a, that, that the old one hasn't been pulled down, but it's still being found by Google. But that's the one that comes up top of the page. If I, you know, LMI Security Location Guide put it in, 2016 is the date. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering, you know, how many of these areas. Uh, back in the day where it was originally put together were farm areas where there, there wasn't a lot of um, uh, a new building activity. It was a very different mm -hmm. back then. Yeah, I mean, you could easily do it with apartments, right? Because you say, uh, you know, it's got lots of investors, there's lots of density. Uh, as a in mortgage insurer, we just want to avoid any sort of smaller apartments. Um, because we know the demand's not that, so we can do a blanket of that. We can do, and any areas that postcodes or developments that we don't want to be involved with. But when you go to houses, um, you know, a lot of it's driven by first home buyers, et cetera, like that. It's a bit harder to sort of be a bit, you know, maybe whether you go, oh, no new house and land packages, well, then you wouldn't get any customers because a lot of the house and land packages is where LMI make their money, right? So well, correct. And, and, and but some of the biggest claims I recall being paid were were you know the the, the, the typical strip of, of properties on the outskirts of, of, of the city or you know, outer burbs on small lots, you know, three hundred square meter green streets, and you'd pay three or four claims in a row, you know, big claims. That's what I see happening here. A lot of small. It's the same thing over and over again. So, what is it? Is it that the the risk team hasn't got enough old blokes like me in there? I don't know. I think they've got to, if they do decide to change it, and that's the thing. Whenever someone changes credit policy um, or your borrowing capacity goes up or down um, in these suburbs, you know, you've got to be really careful because if the demand can no longer borrow at ninety percent in that suburb. Or that suburb gets blacklisted or that postcode and it can easily happen um banks are always changing their blacklists um that suburb you know no longer people can borrow in that suburb at the level they could and so the demand you know dramatically drops um and then you might see a supply increase uh and so yeah it's a massive elephant in the room Kent. great find because um these things should be updated but based on your data they're massively high risk, but they're still in the mortgage insurer's eyes, low risk. Yeah, and I think the other call out postcodes, you know, it's easy because your computer system uses a four digit code, but 
I think it's too broad. It needs to be down to a suburb level. Wow. And it is rather interesting, isn't it? Because I think, like you say, the, the mortgage insurers see in their interest on one hand to avoid risky areas because that's going to increase their chance of payout. But once they're already too embedded in an area, they then have to protect uh, their risk. So the risk changes. Um, that's something I had never really considered before. And it's a bit alarming, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's just... Ah. Flat Earth, Chris. That's it. I love a conspiracy theory. Right. Okay. So um, there you go. Each month, uh, do we have an anomaly this month, Kent, or have we just pretty much covered them all? Oh, yeah, I thought that was a pretty big anomaly. That was going to be that was going to be my anomaly. <laughs> yeah, we just that's the anomaly. Okay. Well, look, this has been a great snapshot. We're actually looking fat, forward. Sorry, looking forward, not looking back to uh, coming with next month's report, um, and. I'll remind you, uh, Kent, that we uh, you promised to do look at those university uh, areas. University towns. Yeah, university towns. So that's going to be an interesting feature for next next month. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Kent. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Veronica. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. If you're a first home buyer and you don't want to miss a step with this most important purchase, join me on Wednesday nights at 7.30pm Sydney time on the Home Buyer Academy Facebook page for live Q&A. Check out the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. Every month, my team hosts a webinar on what we are seeing at the banks, the best rates, changing policy and their service. We also share the latest insights we hear and read that are impacting the property market direction. Check out wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.